And there you go. James Corbett of the Corbett Report doing what he does and only he can do, it seems. Boy, I'm going to bring Gail to bear. Gail, we've we got to figure out, how does James get all this information? <laughs> he is good at researching. He's an amazing investigative journalist, I tell he, you. <laughs> he's completely disassembled the official narrative, like from beginning to end. And this is part two of a yes. three-part series. <laughs> That's we a lot of information. Yeah, Alan wanted to bring all three parts into this film festival. I said, Alan, that's a lot of material. I can't, I don't even know how James put all this. To, well, guess what? He's here and we're going to ask that's him. That's right. That's right. Oh my God. Um, hmm. Tell me some thoughts you had uh, about some of that. I mean, well, hijackers. That's the, that was what he brought out that really struck me the most. Um, just how so many people in the world can look at these facts, which maybe they don't know. I mean, a lot of us didn't know a lot of these facts until James told us he researched it. But just the fact that, like he's saying, the, those pilots, they did not, you know, know how to get through radar it's right at the right point, the exact point that they'd have to go through so that they wouldn't be seen on radar. And you know, they obviously couldn't have flown the planes into those buildings the way that they supposedly did. Um, there's so many pilots who will say, you know what, I couldn't, I'm an experienced pilot of many years and I couldn't fly those a plane like that into a building like that. So yeah, there's just so much, uh, so much proof and evidence that those hijackers were not legitimate. That's, you know, they're not the cause of flying the planes into the building and so I, I think that it was just very clear. Anybody who, you know, really wants to try to say that those pilots, that the, uh, uh, that those pilots were legitimate, there's just no way. I mean, I don't know well, how anybody can And that the bombing, the false flags go back decades. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, have there ever been any real terrorist attacks? I, I just want to know that from James, but I'm going to ask him in a minute in a minute. Let's see who this gentleman is, the, the <laughs> genius behind the film. Well, he's the creator of the Corbett Report at CorbettReport.com. It's an internet, it's an independent listener-supported alternative news source. It operates on the principle of open source intelligence and provides podcasts, interviews, articles, and videos about breaking news and important issues from 9-11 truth and false flag terror to the Big Brother police state, eugenics, uh-oh, geopolitics, the central banking fraud, and more. He doesn't stop at 9-11. He didn't even start at 9-11, I'll bet. Maybe he did. Let's ask him that, too. James Corbett has been living and working in Japan since 2004. He started the Corbett Report website in 2007 as an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. Since then, he has written and recorded and edited thousands of hours of audio and video media 
for the website, actually for the people who come to the website. I know he's very dedicated uh, to the people he serves, his supporters. By the way, as long as you're supporting efforts like 9-11 crime scene to courtroom, please visit thecorbettreport.com and subscribe. He's got incredible material that comes out. So you really need to be a part of, of that community, including a podcast and several regular online video series. He's the lead editorial writer for the International Forecaster, the e-newsletter created by the late Bob Chapman. His work has been carried on online by a wide variety of websites, and his videos have garnered over 50 million views. Gail, what, where would we be if we had 50 million views? Wow, that would just be so amazing. <laughs> I can't imagine. We'd, we'd be making changes in the world. And I know James is and has. My God. I think we're, we're making changes. That's just only on YouTube. Yeah. What? I said, we're making changes. Well, you have we, been for many years. <laughs> yeah, if you add all my years up. Give yourself some my, they, At the rate they take down our YouTube channel. <sighs> I know. <laughs> we, 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 we've been hamstrung. Anyway, his, James's satirical piece on the discrepancies in the official account of September 11th, which we showed on this film festival and which we will link to on the lower right side of our website, richardgage911.org, is 9-11 a conspiracy theory. It was posted on the web on September 11th in 2011. It's been viewed itself nearly 3 million times. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. James Corbett. Now, let's find him. <laughs> the man, the myth. Where are you, James? The legend. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> hey, there he James. Is. Hey. Hello, James. Hi. Good to see you again, Richard. And uh, and Gail, just the other yeah. day I was talking to Richard about uh, the fact that I really appreciate your input to the Richard Gage Unleashed podcast Aww. as well. So it's good to see you here today. Thank you, James. That's so sweet. Good to see you. Wonderful to see you. What did we just watch, James? And what are you going to be hitting us with next? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you may not know this. In half an hour, we're going to start the world premiere of False Flags, The Secret History of Al-Qaeda, Part 3. So we had to warm you up with homework for Part 1. If you missed that, review our, our uh, articles on that. In fact, Gail, we got to post that on the website. We forgot to last night. We'll do that. Uh, make a note. Hit, hit me over the head with it, and then and then we watch part two, the whole thing, two hours. I was on the grip edge of my seat, James. I mean, I, I was I was blown away. I mean, what were what the FBI infiltrated the ninety three bombers? I mean, Ramsey Youssef, um, sixty six strikes in Sudan, but they're destroying probably a competitor to Pfizer pharmaceutical. <laughs> oh my God. Well, James, I'm worried and, and scared actually after seeing this film about how much control they have, not only over their nefarious activities, but about their ability to cover them up. 
Later, I'll ask you, how do we handle this? How do we overcome it? James, I'm turning it over to you. Well, thank you very much for that. Thank you for uh, helping to spread the word about this information, because I think that's probably the most important part of, of, uh, of what I'm doing and what I'm attempting to do here. As I hope you can appreciate, if you have gone through part one of this documentary, which is Origin Story, um, basically taking a brief glance, although it ends up being over an hour long, but a brief glance at the history of the use of Muslim extremism um, as a geopolitical toy, essentially, by the uh, the players of the British Empire and now the American Empire, um, and the creation of Al-Qaeda out of the aftermath of the 1980s Soviet-Afghan War. And then part two, 9-11, which is, of course, all about the, the Al-Qaeda buildup and attacks um, of the 1990s leading towards 9-11. And part three, the War of Terror, which is about to be unleashed upon the public. Um, I hope people can appreciate this is essentially the culmination of, at this point, nearly 15, well, over 15 years of research. Um, because as you intimated, just as you were about to bring me on, 9-11 really was, I think, where I started in on this alternative independent media venture that I am now engaged in. It was the issue that woke me up to the bigger realities of what's going on in the world. So I've been thinking about this, talking about it, and researching it for 15 years. And it is spilling forth in this 50,000-word documentary. It's uh, five-plus hours of information. And believe it or not, it still doesn't enca encapsulate even a fraction of the story. There, This documentary could easily be twice as long. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm for doing my best to try to condense wait, it all. But wait this, a minute. I, Twice I as long, and you, like, <laughs> you, you, oh, you told me you had to leave out that BBC piece because you, you, you couldn't fit it in about a bad, a bad, the neighbors of Os Os the Osama bin Laden. Yeah, yeah, oh absolutely. God. There's a valuable and important information about the story that just literally will not fit into it because part three is taking a look at the 21 year now history from 9 11 until the present time of the unfolding war, not the war on terror that was sold to the public, but the war of terror that was waged in the name of the events of 9-11. And that has been used, obviously, those events have been used to justify the past two decades plus now of ongoing invasions and, uh, and brutality, um, geopolitical aggression around the world. And I... I really do think until we break the staff of that magic wand of the false flag terror events and the spell that they hold over the public, we can never really free ourselves from that ongoing war. So I think that's really our priority at this point. Gotcha. Tell us what's coming up then, because uh, I'm already scared. I'm already uh, uh, quite nervous uh, about what else I'm going to learn here tonight. Well, you are going to learn about uh, the immediate aftermath of 9-11 and how the, the legal framework for the war of terror was laid in the immediate aftermath on the basis of, I wouldn't even say flimsy evidence and, uh, and rather substanceless documents. They, they really were um, nothing. The, the governments provided nothing and then said, look, we see we've got the definitive proof that this was Osama bin Laden directed from his cave fortress in Afghanistan 
And that was the carte blanche that was needed to really launch this war, quite literally. Um, as people might know, NATO's Article 5, the Article 5 of the Washington Treaty, which is the founding charter of NATO, is the self-defense clause, the collective self-defense clause, whereby if any one member of NATO is attacked by an outside force, then NATO collectively um, will respond to that and, uh, and NATO will be mobilized for that. That was invoked for the one and only time on, well, in, in the wake of 9-11, in October of uh, 2001. Uh, the the uh, North Atlantic Council was convinced by a presentation by Ambassador Frank Taylor that, oh, absolutely, this was Osama bin Laden from Afghanistan. Therefore, NATO has been mobilized and the war on Afghanistan was launched. As you will learn, that was total flimsy nonsense. The actual report that was given was uh, laughable if it was not so outrageous. And unfortunately, it just descends into even further farce from there with, of course, the invasion of Iraq, which I think we all know by now, even in the mainstream, it is quite openly understood and admitted was a complete and transparent fraud um, waged in the name of transparent lies that were, of course, propagated by that same mainstream media that now, now can say the mea culpa, oops, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have gone along with that weapons of mass destruction story. O oops. Oh, well. Um, meanwhile, of course, not only the decimation and destruction of the country of Iraq, but then really setting the stage for the rise of the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda 2.0, as it were, um, which even the Defense Intelligence Agency was warning before it ever came together that it was going to happen, this is the creation of an Islamic State. And lo and behold, they let it happen, as I demonstrate in part three. Uh, also, I get into the the video releases of the ghostly Osama bin Laden, who um, in 2001 was an old, decrepit, weary, aging, gaunt warrior uh, being bombarded in Tora Bora, who literally couldn't even move his arm. It was paralyzed, um, but somehow not only managed to escape, but then continue to release video after video for years, looking younger and younger each time he did so before finally being caught in that interesting raid in Abbottabad, which I do get into but not in enough detail. Uh, as you as you point out, there are things that I had to leave out of that portion of the story. And then kind of wrapping it up in a very, unfortunately, again, a too hurried manner on what might potentially be the point of the documentary in a sense, because I know some people might look at a documentary about Al-Qaeda. Well, that was kind of, you know, that was what we talked about the last couple of decades, but now we're on to the next current thing. Who cares about Al-Qaeda anymore? The point of this is that the entire war of terror framework was laid as a justification for the creation of the homeland security infrastructure. All of this infrastructure for catching the terrorists was always directed at the, well, in America, obviously, the American public. In Canada, the Canadian public. In Japan, the Japanese public. Any, each country uses it as a justification for adding this layer of internal security to suppress dissent. And that's what this is ultimately now. It, finally, I think people are starting to catch on that the term domestic terrorist is now being seeded into the popular culture because we've just been conditioned by decades of propaganda about Al-Qaeda and the terror boogeyman threat. Well, we know what terrorism is, and now it's anyone who opposes the government in any way is a terrorist. And all of this infrastructure will now be wielded against those people, as people like myself and 
presumably yourself and many others in the 9-11 Truth Movement, have been warning for decades at this point. This is not about Al-Qaeda. This is about you. And that is the point at which I arrive at the end of part three. But as I say, that, that might be the most important part of the documentary. It ends up being squeezed into a few minutes because there is so much information in this. And one thing I really want to stress for people who are watching this, I know it's a lot of data. I mean, there's so much in here. You could watch it several times and still not quite get everything. I would highly suggest people who are interested in really diving deeper into this material, go to CorbettReport.com slash Al-Qaeda, A-L-Q-A-E-D-A, all one word. That is where you will find the complete, not only the downloads, the audio and video downloads of the complete documentary, but also the complete transcript. As I say, oh, uh, about 50,000 word transcript. Every single statement, every single claim, every single video, every single audio clip is hyperlinked. So you can go directly to the source and start researching it for yourself. And I would say, again, for anyone who's serious about this information, that is the way to do it because I am condensing entire books worth of material down into a few sentences at times. Um, I understand just how much more there is below the surface here, but uh, I, I'm not sure you can really get a handle on that until you start diving into the actual research itself. Well, my God, um, I'm guessing... So that's a, that's one hell of an introduction <laughs> for this film we're about to watch. Um, but we just watched uh, an incredible film. By the way, tell us about the artistic uh, work uh, of uh, uh, in this film. And, and uh, who's responsible for that? It's incredible just to watch uh, visually. Yes. So for people who don't know, I have a video editor, Brock West, that I've been working with for, oh, I mean, going on for a decade now, we, several years anyway. And uh, so we've we've done a number of documentaries. And uh, the way it works, I, I research and write these documentaries, narrate them, and send it over to Brock. And he makes it look amazing. I, uh, <laughs> I taught him everything I knew about video editing. That took a week or so. <laughs> and he has long since sur surpassed me and now puts together these incredible visual tapestries that are yeah. really awesome to watch. And we, we work on this, I, I, as I hope you can appreciate, we work on this a lot. Every, every day or every couple of days going through the draft that he's working on, looking at literally shot by shot. Oh, well, maybe this should be like that. Maybe we should do this. How about this? Oh, maybe this will work for a transition. And we go through it uh, over and over and over. So by this point, I have watched part three myself dozens and dozens and dozens of times because I've we've been going through it every single day going uh, in preparation for this. Brock has probably watched it 10,000 times. So <laughs> I'm at the point where maybe I can't even see the documentary anymore because uh, we've seen it so much. Well, we just downloaded it. So I haven't got, gotten a chance to see it yet. So this is going to be real special for Gail, who I'll bring on uh, because I'm guessing knowing you, uh, knowing how much how well respected uh, you are in the 9/11 truth movement that uh, our supporters have some questions for you about that film Gail yes so far there's a couple questions but I just want to read not too quickly some amazing words that are said about you James that you'll appreciate oh. John Haydenenthus says uh, this is amazing information. Thank you, James. And then Xander Arena says, this is a phenomenal info, incredible presentation. 
Sage Your Age says good stuff. Mode Life says phenomenal. Shane Obi says James the legend. <laughs> David Mudry, James is amazing. And then Jennifer Walter says love my James Corbett. <laughs> Corbett, <laughs> sorry. I wear his t-shirt everywhere. Oh, and the Corbett Report t-shirt. I have seen that t-shirt around. Justin Redden says I'm super excited for part three. And he's, he asks a question. He says, James, what is the most important piece you left out, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say, okay, so part three is about the War of Terror. And in a way, it's not just it's not just sad. It's almost a travesty that it really contains, at this point, pretty much nothing about the illegal torture program that was waged on, on the back of that War of Terror, which is an incredibly important part of the story and really uh, something that needs to be well documented. I did have a section in there that was that was uh, that at least brought that into the story, but it had to be cut for time. Um, but people who are interested, I absolutely will be following this up with a podcast episode in the coming weeks where I will show some of the the blood on the cutting room floor, as it were, some of the things that had to get left out of the documentary. Because uh, we even, I, I had written a bunch of it, Brock had even edited some of it, so we have some visuals and things to go with it. It's just, it had to literally be cut because we just didn't have time to put it all in. Yeah. Oh, great. All right, this is a question from John Hayden. James, what part of the information of the Israel Israelis who had access to the WTC days, weeks prior to the event, can you tell us anything about that? Right. So I would assume that that would be referring to the the B thing, the art project that took over part of the uh, the World Trade Center. And maybe Richard can tell me which tower it was that they infiltrated. I don't I don't recall that off the top of my head. <laughs> I'd forgotten, James. Maybe he's yeah. also referring to the dancing Israelis. I don't know. Well, it could be. So, so with regards to the B thing, I believe that was 2000. But at any rate, this was an art project where some Israeli art students apparently snuck into the World Trade Center and um, set up essentially an office there, as it were, um, it, it, in which they operated ah. for some period of time, um, which gives you a sense of how how much access there could have been to the innards of the buildings um, without, supposedly without security knowing anything about it, um, which is obviously an interesting, even again, even if we just take it at face value, it was just an art project. Still, it does say some interesting things about the security at the World Trade Center, doesn't it? Well, we saw um, the art project, James. Did you see that book, uh, The Gelatin? I, I, I don't actually have the book. It's, it's not like, even art. It's ridiculous. It's a cover, obviously. Obvious yeah, cover. Yeah, I, mean, I, I could have gotten an artist to, to do a better cover job. Yes, I certainly wouldn't buy that cover story. Plus, it also ties into the art, um, the art uh, ring that was operating as as what even the U.S. government understood was a spy, an Israeli spy ring that was operating in the U.S. prior to 9-11. Well, there were um, dozens there were, or hundreds in that one, right? Right, right. Reported on briefly on Fox News in the wake of 9-11, but then covered up and really never talked about again. Uh, and as you say, this might also refer to the dancing Israelis who um, were uh, part of an, a moving company, which again was cover everyone involved in or everyone who was ultimately rounded up by the FBI for this was in some way involved either with Israeli military intelligence and or military um, definitely had connections. 
And uh, I did an entire piece on that in my previous, one of my previous 9-11 documentaries called 9-11 Suspects. I did a piece on the dancing Israelis that I would suggest people check out if they're interested. It's got lots of information on that. Um, also, just on the general point of access to the World Trade Center pre-9-11, uh, I would say one of the definitive pieces was written by Kevin Ryan. And I'm not going to remember the name of that off the top of my head, but I believe he wrote a two-part might have been three-part um, ser article series uh, uh, about that, where he goes through in a lot of detail the types of access that various companies and people had to the innards of the buildings before 9-11. Yeah, he sure did. And, and that's uh, on his website, Dig Within. Uh, Kevin's done incredible work. Uh, just look at his articles on Journal of 9-11studies.com. He's, he's also the editor, along with others uh, there. Uh, he also developed the parallels between 9-11 and you-know-what. Uh, and um, we're streaming on YouTube, so I've lost three platforms. I don't want to lose a fourth. And so I developed, that's the one I developed. It all came from, from the heart and mind of, of Kevin Ryan in a half-hour presentation he gave last year. Uh, no slides. He, he was just talking, and, and, and this gold came out of his mouth. So I wrote it all down and, and and amplified it. And now we're running around the country because people want to know what there's what there's parallels between these operations. Well, that's exactly what part two we just watched was about parallels between uh, deceptive false flag events that you document going back. How far? 19? Well, the documentary, obviously, um, well, it starts, I suppose, back in the 18th century, talking about some very distant past, but essentially concentrating on the rise of Al-Qaeda in the 1990s. And I think it is surprising, even for people in the 9-11 Truth movement, because, of course, 9-11 Truth has been reduced down to the buildings, what happened with the buildings, which, of course, as you know, is an incredibly important and detailed topic, which you can spend years talking about. But I like to, I, I think that's covered by yourself and, and others. I like to try to look at some of the other things. And so looking at, sort, for example, well, what, what happened with the 93 World Trade Center bombing? Who, who was involved in that? And what, what did the FBI know? And how did they, and what? And those parts of the story are very much neglected to the point where I am still flabbergasted that to this day, I receive uh, emails and, and contact from people who've watched, for example, part one and part two, who said they'd never even heard of Ali Mohammed before my documentary, which is crazy because that is one of the most flabbergastingly insane parts of the official Al-Qaeda story. This triple agent who was doing all of this incredible stuff, the training special forces at Fort Bragg and on the weekend going to uh, give talks in Brooklyn and, and train these Al-Qaeda, what would essentially become Al-Qaeda operatives and uh, all the you know, FBI, working for the FBI, working at one point for the CIA, passing between borders, going around, training these people, acting as Osama bin Laden's personal bodyguard, telling the FBI about Osama bin Laden building up this army and they just they just note it down and never do anything. I mean, it, it's such a crazy story that and and again, even people in 9/11 Truth, most people have never heard of Ali Muhammad. Mm. Well, it goes back further than that. I mean, you've got examples in Egypt of false flag mm. operations, which fell apart horribly. Who was That's running right. those? Yes, so that was uh, the Levon affair, as it's uh, come to be known. Um, but uh, yes, it involved Israeli intelligence 
uh, operatives in Egypt in the 1950s who s tried to stage some bombings to blame on Muslim extremists and or whoever else they could blame it on, um, essentially to create a destabil destabilization event in Egypt in order to convince the Brits not to leave, because of course it was a, a partly under the British mandate of the Suez Canal and all of that. Um, so they were trying to essentially encourage their friends to stick around. What better way to do it than by creating this destabilization? You can't leave now, look what's going on. Unfortunately for them, it, it unraveled in this spectacular fashion and ultimately the uh, the perpetrators were caught. And uh, it, it became a, a rather large scandal that again, today, very few people know about or uh, understand the history, but it's just another example of uh, from history of staging terror events in order to blame them on political enemies. I have another pretty important example of that from the slightly further past uh, in part three, uh, uh, the war of terror, where I talk, of course, about something that I'm sure a lot of people in 9-11 Truth know about, but not enough people in the general public, Operation Northwoods, uh -huh. the 1962 plan submitted by the Joint Chiefs of Staff to President Kennedy to stage terror attacks. I do, of course, bring up the specter of that plan, which in some of its aspects, like getting uh, fake CIA-created uh, students uh, listed as passengers on a passenger plane, taking the passenger plane on a trip that they were going to take and that would pass over Cuba, and then switching out the plane for a remote-controlled empty plane that they would then fly over Cuba and broadcast radio messages of Mayday, Mayday, we're under attack, and then blow it up and say, look, it was the Cubans, um, which is a remarkable story for many different reasons, but of course also because of the eerie parallels of what happened just 39 years later. I'll say, my God. Um, so false flag operations, what, what remote controlled planes back in the 60s? This is something most people don't know about. In fact, there has been remote controlled plane technology at least since the 1940s. And uh, John F. Kennedy's uh, older brother, um, Joseph Jr., um, was uh, actually killed in uh, uh, was involved in experiments with that type of technology. I believe it off the top of my head, I believe it was called Operation Aphrodite. But mm -hmm. at any rate, people can look that up. Um, yes, this technology has been around for a very long time and undoubtedly is much more advanced than what they have ever let the public under understand. Wow. Uh, and, and we have had some guests on who have discussed these topics. Uh, so if you're looking for more information on remote controlled aircraft. Uh, we've got Dan Hanley as a guest. We've had uh, uh, Robin? Aiden, Aiden Monahan. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yes, what? right. Uh, and um, actually, Ricky DeSantis gave us an incredible array of, uh, in, a, in an airfield museum, of remote, remote controlled aircraft on the ground, uh, from, like you said, 1940s, I think the one from Aphrodite was actually there. They talked about it. Uh, so we, we learned uh, we learned a lot that day, too. Gail, is there more for James? Uh, this is just a uh, comment from Dalex Plim or Plim. Good morning, James. Thank you for all your wonderful productions and say hi to Brock for me. Excellent. Well, I will do so because I am just about to join him in another live stream that I'm doing today, which will also be airing part three. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very busy today. So I'm literally just about to hop onto that next live stream. So yeah, I have to really go. But did. before I go, yes. um, I, a shameless bit of self-plug. 
Um, I would say that the, this type of work, which again, I hope people once they see it can appreciate does take an awful lot of time and energy. And I am blessed enough to be able to do this work full time because of the support of people out there who yeah. are active paying subscribing members of my website. And uh, I, I absolutely have to pinch myself every single day that this is possible. But here we are in the 21st century, and I'm podcasting for a living. So Let's make the most of it. So if anyone does want to support this work, they can do so at CorbettReport.com slash members and also at NewWorldNextWeek.com. NewWorldNextWeek.com. You can purchase that T-shirt that was referred to earlier, as well as perhaps more importantly, the DVDs of various documentaries that I've done in the past. And although the Al-Qaeda documentary is not available on DVD yet, uh, I do have some 9-11 related DVDs, including one that includes 9-11 uh, Trillions and 9-11 War Games, which are two documentaries that I've released in the past, I think worth people's time and attention. Of course, all my work is available for free, as this documentary is, and so please make the most of it if you want to support the work. I do appreciate that. And while we're on that topic, of course, from people who are watching from my own audience, 100%, I hope they're supporting this film festival and uh, the production of the film. I'm sure you've been talking about it, but just for the sake of my listeners who might be tuning in, can you tell them about the film that you're uh, working towards here? Absolutely. And it's, it's five Oh one or one minute past the hour. Are you okay? Or can, do you want to, I've got about, uh, well, actually, you know what? I should go, but please. I didn't want to <laughs> make you late uh, and think about this on your way out the, out the, out the door. Uh, the FBI is creating terror as you're about to document, as you have documented. Come back and tell us next time, how the hell do we deal with that? Yes. Okay. An important question. One I will be happy to talk about on Richard Gage, Unle Gage Unleashed. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's yes. do it. Thank awesome. you, my friend. So good to have you here. And blessing us with this incredible these thank you for sharing this information uh, as you know i i think this is incredibly important so i'm glad there are still people out there who uh who are sharing this and talking about it absolutely okay you be well have a great uh, podcast take care thank bye. you james bye-bye yep gail he's given us permission to show the world premiere <laughs> how exciting of part three of mm -hmm. the false flags the secret history of al-qaeda but he also promised to come back and give us some solutions. I yes. mean, when you got the FBI, the premier law enforcement organization in the world, perhaps, um, instigating terror, you got a big problem. Yes, we do. Now, what would you do? Boy, that's a tough one. Well, it depends if I know who the perpetrators were or not, or are. Yeah, so well, that's, now that's you do. Whole... I think, unfortunately, James dropped a few bombs on us himself. Um, and um, we can't run from this information. You guys have to share this everywhere you go. Yeah. You know, because while it, you're... Uh -huh. well, it's, it's truth. It's true. It's our history. It's a very unfortunate, tragic history. But it is it is our history. You know, well, so much of this... It's going to be our future, mm -hmm. you know, if we don't all speak up about it. I mean, if everybody yep. listening to this uh, on the archive, particularly where it goes out, thousands, Bitchute, Rockfin, Rumble, Odyssey, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're all on our website. Um, 
In fact, uh, just remind everybody our social media platforms. Yes, we are on uh, all, of course, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Substack. And Substack, yes. And Telegram, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, Roku. Um, goodness wait. gracious, I don't have the list in front of me. I should have it in front of me. Yeah, oh, there's no, there's a lot. Yep, you'll find them all listed there on the website anyway. I was going to say, they're all on the website. And they so have be, uh -huh. buttons you can click on to actually take you right to our platform on each one of those. Lots of Or to lots our account, buttons. yeah. <laughs> they're big buttons too. So yes, those are all the accounts we're on. Wow. Um, guess what? We've come to the point where we're going to start this film. And Yay. I will start it as soon as four of you click that donate button. Oh, <laughs> Richard. We've got, well, look, let me show you. Um, yeah, but it's four, 504. Have I ever been bothered by time? Well, I'm gonna, no. I'm going to reload this. And guys, how far are we along? Without the checks that many of you have written for the extra donations of $100, 500 and $1,000. And thank you very much. We got notification of a couple of those already. Yeah. We've got $12,600 of our $19,000 goal. Wow, now, that's exciting. I'm, yeah, I'm very happy to, to have have reached so far but guess what we got to reach farther we got to reach deeper and at the intermission we'll show you how you can do just that but we want to bring on the premiere of false flags part three the secret history of al-qaeda previously on the corbett report <laughs> 